Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, a Higher Things podcast. As always, we are your host, Pastor Christopher Gillespie. Yeah, the name of the show is on the nose. Right? <laughs> Lutherans talking, reading Luther. That's the right. There we go. That's the right way to go. <laughs> and I am your techno Viking, Pastor Donovan Riley. I think we. Uh, I was thinking about it. We are the tool of Lutheran podcast, or maybe the tool of theological podcast. That we are crassly intellectual, and our mission is to help you learn and grow in uh, your theology, your thinking, your philosophizing, but not without self criticism. But not without self-criticism, trying to pull back the veil. It's like, uh, speaking of tool, the uh, interview talking about, what was it, Parabola or something? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a complicated song. There's a lot of, you know, complex structure to that song. We were talking about this right. before the show, too. And yeah. uh, and then they asked Maynard, you know, what, and he's like, well, I think, it's a, I think it was a little bit... Uh, you know self-serving yeah exactly <laughs> something like that he's like super critical it's like yeah. yeah it doesn't really hold up anymore you're like it's brilliant man what's your I was problem say it's a classic yeah no <laughs> one of the things that i've been doing lately to just kind of keep plugged into what's happening culturally is on youtube i watch reaction videos mm-hmm. millennials react one it's fun and and enjoyable for me to see people who have never heard bands that you and i came of age with alice in chains tool that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. right and people who have never heard of them before excuse me listen to this stuff and and get excited by it it re-excites me to go back and and re-listen to the bands especially what's been interesting is of all of these reaction channels that i watch every single one who listens to tool falls in love with tool and says this is the greatest band i've ever heard why have i not heard of this band before Hmm. And there's something about the complexity of it. And well, at least musicians do, I would say. No, a lot of the people that I watch are uh, hip hop rap fans who've never had any interest in rock, hard rock, or metal. Right. But, but they work with uh, song structures that are sometimes complicated. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So they, they can appreciate that in a way that maybe right. those who are on just kind of straight up pop music are, are not going to appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, that's a formula genre, right? Yeah, precisely. And as far as progressive rock bands go, which Tool gets lumped in with, I think they're their own genre, really, at this point. Because Tool is one of those bands that other bands don't try and copy. Hmm. They'll they'll cover Tool songs. I've listened to plenty of bands cover Tool, but I've never heard a band come out of the gates and say, We're, we basically, our template is Tool. Hmm. But I think that, again, like you said, once you get into the, the deep water with studying tool compositionally lyrically especially musically you, you've got to be eminently talented to go out in that direction with them yeah i, I had a phase um right with when undertow came out i had a phase because you know they had a hit song um, mm-hmm. but then i kind of got turned off because the content isn't always the most um pious <laughs> well that's the thing too actually to your point i was just we were talking about this before we went on the air that this web, the one channel that I watched that breaks down how Tool writes a song, one of the things Maynard was asked in an interview was, you know, you have certain songs that seem like they're pretty crass, strong, strong sexual overtones. and Or Aleister Crowley was, stuff, right? Right. And his response was, well, if you want to just listen to the surface lyrics and just judge it by a kind of very shallow interpretation, it could be taken that way. But actually what I'm doing is I'm using these these metaphor as metaphors. These are metaphors for something deeper. It's a critique of society or a critique mm-hmm. of the individual, collectivism, these types of things. And, you know, he has a conversation. He talks about having a conversation at a bar one night where a guy basically calls him a sellout hmm. and a prostitute. And so he actually writes a song about a, being a prostitute. And people listen to the song and think, oh, this is about a transsexual prostitute. And it's like, no, actually, it's about us as a band being accused of being prostitutes. Yeah, for selling out so to speak yeah exactly have a cigar pink floyd and that's kind of the point of the band though is uh if you want to just listen surface level in a very shallow way you can get something from it just musically but if you want to dig and actually go deeper on it because the thing too is maynard was raised by a devout baptist his family was legit orthodox baptist like deep deep baptist and so a lot of tools lyrics then are a rejection of his baptist upbringing yeah, it's kind of kind of like kind of like Nick Cave, right? 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're really strong religious tones, but not always the way you would expect, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certainly not yeah. orthodox, I would say, right teaching. But used, used lyrically or used uh, dramatically, right? Like Stink Fist isn't, I mean, it sounds like it has sexual overtones, but it's actually about society hmm. and about crash consu- crass consumerism and that we're all essentially these dumbed down mouth-breathing zombies. And therefore, the only thing that can really get through to people is basically pornography, mm-hmm. whatever whatever shape that takes, whether yeah. it's musical. Uh, well, we've done TV, that now. Movies. We've attached the word porn to pretty much anything, right? So right. Food yeah, absolutely. Porn. Food porn. Right. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is I think it, there's a Sufi or a Sanskrit parable that says in the absence of creativity, there's pornography. And pornography being parody then. Essentially, right? Yeah, it's a par- like, like porn. Porn is a parody of actual intimacy and love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you apply that to other genres, other spheres, other areas, and attach the word porn to it, that's essentially what you're saying is this is a simulation of reality, or this and, is and there, therefore a it parody is evil, of, right? Because yes, it's opposed right. to the good, <laughs> the right, the true, right. Or whatever. Yeah, it's a distorted version. Yeah. And this goes back to Plato, actually, which we can then use to segue into Galatians because we are actually here to podcast about Galatians. But this is what Plato is after about what is essential, what is real, and then what is the shadow or not real. Mm. And the parody would be that which is not real, which is why Plato was critical of actors. And because they're simulating reality, uh, parodying reality, so to speak. Although I wonder if Plato would have been a big fan of like satire and parody versus tragedy and you know kind of the pathos well it's like um it's like weezer you know they had their uh their africa cover that kind of went yes. went viral so then when <laughs> yeah. they did the, did the video of it <laughs> right who do they have i just saw that the other day it's weird owl playing playing mm-hmm. the lead playing the lead singer i did parody. just see that the other day yeah. right so it's like a parody singer but he's singing he's not singing it as a parody even though it's a cover it, it's pretty right. meta it's good it's very post-ironic right yes exactly was it Toto that was the backup band for Michael Jackson on Thriller? Oh, I don't know. Was it Toto or Asia? It was one of those two. <laughs> I can't keep them straight. Yeah, but Sorry. yeah, that's oh, Toto's got skill. Got Thriller, yeah, got some skill. It's like, oh, which well, which band did Adrian Ballou play for? Not for Toto. Okay, it must have been Asia then. Can you look that up for me? Because it was whatever band Asia, uh, Adrian Ballou was in. <laughs> yeah. He so was if not you want to know, if you want to know who plays those awesome guitar riffs on the Thriller album, that's Adrian Ballou, one of the great guitarist of who was taught guitar by frank zappa yeah there you go thriller so while he's looking up uh, the <laughs> backup really band important. for michael jackson for as lutheran as it gets today we're going to dive back into dr martin luther's commentary lectures on galatians and we are again in Geraldo camacho's translation martin luther's commentary on saint paul's epistle to the galatians 1535 published by it was a toto album look at yeah, that nailed it and uh, the I love this translation of uh, Camacho's translation of Luther here. It's for me. It's finally replaced my Middleton edition, which was published in the late 1530s, early 1540s, as a legit English translation of Luther's uh, lectures. And it's eminently readable. It's got uh, great font and good margins, so you can write notes in it. Uh, it's got nice heft to it. And for me as a book nerd, these are the types of things that I actually judge a book by. Because uh, if you've ever read This Is My Body by Herman Saze, even though it's a thin book by theological standards, that book must weigh like 28 pounds. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of paper stock they used, but it is dense. And so everything about this uh, publication I love. But I'm not just saying that because I, I work for them, and I'm not actually, uh, I don't get paid to endorse this book. I just really love this book. I do I do like the matte cover. That's mm-hmm. also nice. Right? It feels nice in your hand. Yeah. You know, because you can hold it. It's not glossy. It doesn't slide out of your hand. But it's, exactly. still, it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. And the, theologically and by weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're going to dive into St. Paul's argument in the epistle to the Galatians, which is what would you say kind of an, in, this is like the third introduction <laughs> preface. <laughs> fourth preface. Intru- yeah. We read the preface. Then we read, let's hear it for self-righteousness and it's 50 select virtues resulting from work. This is like what the introductory lecture, right? It's like, here's what, here's what we're going to do. Yes. Yes. Because it actually concludes 
I think it actually concludes with lecture two, Saturday, July 4th. So yeah, this is really the introductory lecture. Mm -hmm. First day of class, this is what you can expect kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you break it down and, and consider this, right, it's not actually a commentary that Luther wrote at his desk. These are his lectures on Galatians. Right. right. So his lectures on Galatians take up over 500 pages yeah. for a book. Well, I taught Galatians in the, in the, um, uh, his Bible study, right? And I, it wasn't I'd 500 to, pages long. Though. No, I have to go back and look, but I mean, I was doing, we were doing hour 15, hour and a half classes. And we, I think it was 30 right. some weeks. And even then you can only surface level scratch, you know, broad strokes. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? An hour, hour and a half classes, what maybe a page and a half, two pages, three pages at the most, if you're really writing fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you consider it in that light, if you do a 12 week Bible study, 12 hours, it's like 36, 40 pages, maybe 50 right. at the it's most. It's a little book. It's just a little it, book. Yeah. It's a little pamphlet, little monograph. Whereas Luther's over 500 pages of lectures. Yeah. And obviously he didn't do this in just 12 weeks. This was do we know how many an years? ongoing. I, you know, I don't right off the top of my head right now. Hmm. I don't remember. I'm going to go out of the limits so lecture, of two or three years. So, I mean, if we just run by the lecture dates, it starts July 3rd and he's not done until December 12th. So it's six months. Hmm. Of I wonder how long the class is. Friday, running. Saturday lectures, it looks like. Ah, uh, okay. Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday. I wonder what the standard lecture is. And how long? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was three hours or more. Well, you didn't have TV or internet yeah. or smartphones to distract. No, and Luther was entertaining. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. So there you go. So let's dive in. St. Paul's argument in the Epistle to the Galatians by Dr. Martin Luther. First, we are compelled to state the main argument of this epistle. What did Paul intend to do with this epistle? His purpose is the following. I wish all of my professors had done this at seminary. Yeah. <laughs> Just walked in the first day and said, here's what the entire class is about, and here's what the entire text that we're going to be studying is about. I had one notorious class where he came in and said, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the name of this class? This is the teacher. Yeah. What's the name of this class? Uh, it was the Word of God. Um, what's the, <laughs> what are we supposed to be studying? What's on the syllabus? I like you haven't given us the syllabus. He's like, I can't find the syllabus. I was just assigned this class, and so and so I was graduate assistant at that point. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go find the syllabus. Wait, so he was serious? Absolutely serious. It was an old class. Oh. It was in the. It was still. I assume Word of God meant there is no syllabus. We'll just be reading the Bible. Well, one. Well, yeah. This is systematics class, so we're talking about it in the abstract. Oh, okay. Uh, no, it was an old class that was in the <laughs> in the catalog, but it hadn't been taught in fifteen years, something like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, mm, did he come prepared for class? I think the argument would be no. No. Did you ever have professors that assigned a bibliography that they never taught out of? Uh, frequently, yes. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of those too, where they would give you the bibliography and then halfway through the semester, this is... You're like, I bought all those books? Why? Right, yeah. right. Freshmen would go run to the bookstore immediately after class, buy $300 worth of books, and then by mid-semester ask, um, are we going to be reading these books in class? Right. No, no, I've got my own lecture notes. <laughs> huh. It's like, wow. Huh. Whereas Dr. Luther comes in and just first sentence, here's the main argument, here's what we're going to be after. Yeah. So Luther continues, St. Paul proposes to establish the doctrine of faith, grace, the forgiveness of sin, or Christian righteousness, so that we may perfectly understand the difference between Christian righteousness and all other types of righteousness. And by righteousness, he means forgiveness of sins. Yeah. So this is he actually says it. So sometimes people think of righteousness as, I think more often than not, and he'll make this point, um, right doing, right? Yes. So to be righteous is to to do the right things. Do the right thing, as uh, what's his name said, right? Yeah. Do what. Yeah. Do the right thing. Do your best. Uh, I was thinking of the movie. What was the movie? Oh, uh, I lost it. New York guy. What's his name? Whatever. Scorsese. No, 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 no. Oh, you mean uh, oh, do the right thing. Yeah. By uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Knicks fan. It'll come to me in a second. I'm, yeah, a Spike Lee. Uh, I had I feel chuck, like I'm on Jeopardy. Spike, yes. Um, but that's not what Chuck Lee. Chuck Lee, yeah. No, Chuck D. <laughs> chuck D. Spike yeah, yeah, Lee. Chuck enemy. D. You see, they sound the same. You see, I was confused. Yeah. Sure. Regardless of that, yes, righteousness <laughs> meaning um, not right doing according to the law or something like that. 
or mm-hmm. according to your own law, but rather being, uh, what do you want to say, like made right with God? Declared righteous. Declared, declared right. Made right passively. <laughs> well, and, and to go even deeper into Luther, essentially once you're declared forgiven for Christ's sake, God sees you as he sees Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. Thus the sinful in the flesh, but righteous in Christ through faith, the symbol. So there, Luther continues then, what what other types of righteousness are there, right? He answers, there is a political or civil righteousness, emperors, the princes of this world, philosophers, and attorneys must deal with this one. There is also a righteousness of social behavior, mm-hmm. according to human traditions. So you have... The righteous, Keeping up with the Joneses, right? Right. I was going to say there's community righteousness or civil righteousness. That's mow your lawn. And, <laughs> and then there's church righteousness, otherwise known as human traditions. <laughs> yep. Uh, it comes out usually in the form of, but pastor, that's the way we've always done it. Or what will other people think of us? Right. The 11th commandment, what will the neighbors think? Yeah. Like if we commune children at that age, what is going to happen when they go to another church? <laughs> right. <laughs> Parents, as well as tutors... Uh-huh. may teach this type of righteousness, that is the righteousness of be- social behavior, human traditions. And as you pointed out, that really is, I think, most of the time what we mean when we say righteous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Human, social, traditions, behaviors. Keeping up appearances. Right. Yeah, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Kardashians. Parents as well as tutors, although I don't know if that's really righteous. That's not righteous at all. Nowadays, nowadays it actually is slack-jawed, dumbed-down zombie righteousness. <laughs> I watched a clip on the internet of keeping up with the Kardashians and this was like a 10 set. It was like a commercial for the show. I literally lost 25 IQ points. It took me weeks to get those back. It's like a sponge. It just drained it right out of you. Well, you'll notice that every man that enters the Kardashian home somehow in some way is destroyed. It's amazing. Hmm. One guy changes his sex. Another guy goes from a world championship basketball player to having a massive cocaine heart attack in a brothel. Another guy runs away before another guy gets married and his basketball career goes down the tubes. Dad's Kanye, a warrior, right? Dad dies with cancer. Kanye goes insane. I'm not saying there's a correlate. I'm just saying when something's up. But they but they do go to church on Sunday, so you got that going for you. Oh wow, look at that. Yeah, they're Arminian. Not Arminian in the sense of the theological heresy, Arminianism, but they're literally Arminian from Armenia, the rugs. <laughs> Persian, right? Armenia. There you go. Thank you. That's my Midwestern drawl coming out. You mean the Armenians? <laughs> so parents as well as tutors may teach this type of righteousness without fear, since they do not attribute to these types of actions any satisfaction for sin to please God or to merit grace. Hmm. Okay. So obey me because it's good. It's just good for us. Right. As my doctor father liked to say, you can't rule your house with the gospel. Because for, if you give if you give the forgiveness of sins to an unrepentant old Adam, they won't say thank you. They'll just keep pounding holes in the walls. And there, but of course, there is a time um, where the law, not just the law of your home, uh, but mm-hmm. God's law then comes to bear and, and the gospel must be proclaimed by parents to children, right? Absolutely. This yeah. is why, at least for us, we teach our children forgiveness comes precedes love. Mm-hmm. It's not love leads to forgiveness, but rather forgiveness and learning to forgive one another as Christians, but also just as brothers and sisters, parents and children, you forgive one another. And that forgiveness is what nurtures love. It, in, it endears you to the other person because you're saying, I've chosen to say, I forgive this. I, I, uh, I pardon you of any guilt. And there's some challenges in teaching that, right? Because you want to say, now say you're sorry, you know, right. And so you kind of have to force it. Um, that's not the goal. That's not the point. Well, you have to, and this is probably the, the root distinction is that in, in human affairs, I would argue anyways, and this is, I know this is an enlightenment teaching, but we teach our children that they have personal agency. Mm. They are responsible for their words and their actions. Right. And therefore you may want to blame your brothers or sisters for what just transpired. And Possibly they are involved. They are collaborating in this unjust situation. However, let's take a step back and ask, they did this, you reacted to it, so now you're both 100% involved in the way that this plays itself out. And therefore, you both have a stake, and therefore, you both need to forgive one another. Because you're both, it takes two to tango, however you want to say. Well, that's, you know, the seven-year-old's really upset that, 
you know, I would tell her regularly, just deal with your brother. He's three. He's having a rough time. Right. Just, you know, just play right. nice with him. You know, right. you don't have to argue with him. You just, mm -hmm. you don't have to have your way. Cause if you try, it's just going to make things worse. Just, just, exactly. just let him right. be. You know, right. let him have his his moment, and uh, right. you know, we'll get through it. And right. like, wait a minute, I have. What are you teaching her? You have to s sacrifice your own will and and right. authority, and even you know your mm -hmm. age, even and defer to mm -hmm. the younger, <laughs> right? For his sake. Well, this is again to dig even deeper. This is essentially teaching your children that selflessness is the way of peace, and selfishness is the way to conflict. Mm -hmm. and the world teaches the opposite oh yeah we can we can be at peace uh, with as long, if we can conquer the world right one world government right. this is one world economy this is and, why the 15 yeah. year old can enjoy more peace than the six-year-old <laughs> because the 15 year old has the threat of force on his side and it's probably staked a claim to a particular part of the house that's their well, as space. you know that's what teenagers do and they hold up in a room yeah i was gonna well <laughs> no there's a section of my couch in my living room that i haven't sat on in about four years because that's the 15 year old's perch. Hmm. I actually threatened to throw his butt out and just move the couch upstairs because why does, why need a bed? Because you're always on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> that's his spot. It's parenting he, hour with Riley and Gillespie. But he's triangulated that from that spot on the couch, he can see every doorway, every angle. Uh -huh. And therefore he can see everybody as they come and go. And yet, and then he can then easily escape once I, once Annie or I start talking about chores or taking responsibility for something, he magically disappears. Defense mechanism. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing is that this kind of righteousness, the, the righteousness of parents teaching children, for example, to take responsibility mm -hmm. to live a life of integrity, discipline, to be caring and kind, loving and kind, um, to be forgiving, be selfless. That's good. But like I said, when it comes to salvation and the righteousness, Christian righteousness, agency must, must, if it is to be Christian, be entirely um, given God. over to Christ. Yeah, yeah exactly. God, God is the only one who has any agency in matters of salvation. Mm -hmm. This is our problem. This is where we confuse these two righteousnesses. Oh, two kinds of righteous? Hmm. Luther should have taught that. Right. That would have been super helpful. So, I mean, Paul Paul will get to this eventually. Luther will get to it as well then. Correct. That, you know, before one another, we are obligated to the law. I mean, yes, we, absolutely. For without that, I mean, there's nothing. That's how God restrains the old Adam, you know, in regards to uh, <laughs> theft, right. murder, and, and right. you know, unloving behavior. And the same in the right. home, right? I mean, we you can't have an antinomian home or a no. libertarian home in, in a radical sense, right? Practically, it's impossible. Well, I mean, you can, but but the home will be destroyed, ultimately. Right, I was going to say, it's going to be destroyed, and they'll eventually kill their parents. Or run off, or whatever. And then come back and kill their parents. Right, is this the, this sounds like a myth. I think I've No, it's the nature of every, every communist or socialist revolution, is the younger generation coming back and saying to the elders, you were wrong, you've destroyed everything, and we're taking it oh, by force. Fourth commandment, look at that. Right idealism in the end idealism requires force to enact to make it real well it requires you to kill right that's yeah that's why idealists make the best dictators <laughs> you don't like my way fine i've right. got a place for you <laughs> i was gonna say we have a nice retirement community in it's northern called, siberia it's called the gulag yeah right 100%. Yeah, again, go read the Gulag Archipelago by Sultanitsyn. It's a lovely place. Let's not go there. Hey, did, <laughs> this is a total segue, but did you see the recent thing where these three professors uh, wrote broken uh, broken articles and sent them to these journals, these these uh, peer-reviewed journals? The, the fem they are feminist studies journals, gender studies journals. They wrote purposely broken articles and then sent them in to prove the, the, the kind of idiocy and intellectual bankruptcy of these journals. Oh, like the uh, uh, kind of yes, yes culture, right? As long as you're a yes man, right? Yeah. And so they wrote Affirm one us. about dog parks and, and dogs copulating and how dogs copulating is a reflection of male-dominated rape culture. And they were, <laughs> yeah, just really crazy stuff. And these, and they had, they've had at least seven um, of their articles received. In fact, one journal asked if they would actually be act as proofreaders and editors of other articles since their article was so good. Wow. But it goes to the point that when you're locked into a, a set of ideals, you become almost entirely incapable of self-awareness and self-reflection.
So parents as well as tutors may teach this type of righteousness without fear, since they do not attribute to these types of actions any satisfaction for sin to please God or to merit grace. Or they're not supposed to anyway. Well, I was going to say, yeah. This is every religion ever invented is a confusion of these two kinds of righteousness. This is like leaving the empty chair at the table because God, right. you know, God's going to watch your behavior at the dinner table. He might that's show why up. we leave the front pews empty in Lutheran churches, I thought. Oh, that's where God sits? That's, yeah, in case the Jesus and all the angels come back, they're going to need a spot. <laughs> at the front. So they teach that these types of behaviors are only necessary to correct bad habits and certain observances regarding social life. Mm-hmm. Decorum. Par- right, I was going to say, this is why you can have great relationships with righteous pagans. Mm-hmm. That's why we say they are righteous, and we add the caveat pagans in the sense of they are righteous. Yeah. Coram mundo, right. not... Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, Coram Mundo. That's right. Not Coram Deo. Mundo meaning earth, right? Yeah. Before one another on the earth. I and, almost said Coram Hominibus, which is the same thing. Yeah, oh, that's that's actually before men, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and this includes language, right? What's appropriate Absolutely. speech. Some contexts, uh, right. there's language that's inappropriate. In other contexts, it might be... Uh, Acceptable, right. You, Yeah, if you're in a biker bar versus a first grade uh, talent show. <laughs> well, that's a contrast language may need to shift <laughs> yeah yeah and again it's not it's not because god's watching necessarily but what, mm-hmm. what's going on there is um uh, not causing offense unnecessary offense towards someone else. Uh, right yeah and these are socially acceptable norms i guess we might say well this is paul's point in Galatians or in romans about eating meat sacrificed mm-hmm. to idols versus eating vegetables yeah you can do it, but just don't do it when you're around other people if it causes their conscience to be troubled, that they think they're sinning. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, yeah, you can only get meat at the uh, pagan market right. where it was sacrificed to idols. So right. kind of, kind of, unless that. you have your own farm, you're, you're kind of right. up there. But Well, and we see this at present. I'm sure you've encountered it, in, especially in the last, I think social media has really exaggerated and, and put this on steroids of walking with the weaker brother and then people use that as an excuse to essentially bind your conscience. Hmm. To say, well, I'm the weaker brother in this situation, and therefore I'm going to need you to stop saying that or stop doing that, which is, it's very manipulative and very passive aggressive mm-hmm. kind of manipulation. Yeah, because the the way the law works, uh, or righteousness, you know, man's righteousness, human righteousness, is it's meant to restrain you, not to for you to restrain other people. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, funny how that works. So they teach that these types of behaviors are only necessary to correct bad habits and certain observances regarding social life. Parallel to these, there is another righteousness Mm -hmm. called the righteousness of the law or the Ten Commandments taught by Moses. According to the doctrine of faith, we also teach this one. We make this distinction, as you pointed out, in, in the kingdom on the left, this is the kingdom that is ruled by God's word of law. Mm -hmm. And in the kingdom on the right, that kingdom is ruled by God's word of the gospel. So Luther in his Psalms lectures will often point this out, that when the psalmist talks about God's rule over the earth, he is referring to the gospel, actually. Mm-hmm. When, when he talks about God's kingdom coming, Zion, so forth and so we on. we believe his word and lead lives according to correct, it. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. He is referring to the gospel and the forgiveness of sins. It is a passive righteousness, a righteousness that is received from God. Whereas... The other kingdom, the law, the kingdom of the law, it is an active kind of righteousness. And it is the righteousness that applies not just to Christians, but to all people equally. Yeah. That's why the tablets of Hammurabi can still be consulted to this day. Right. Yeah. Or do unto others that the kind of general right, exactly. golden, golden yeah. what do we call it? The golden rule? The golden rule. Mm-hmm. Right. Or as the rabbis teach, don't do anything to someone else that you wouldn't want them to do to you. It's an inversion of the golden rule. Yeah. Yeah, it works. So yeah, if you don't want people to spit in your face, don't spit in their face. So when the kingdom of God comes, and, and then as Luther tells us that we lead godly lives according to, that means lives lived in the forgiveness of sins. Exactly. That's not necessarily how everyone hears that though, right? No, they hear it in the civil righteousness mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, that they look yeah. good <laughs> right. before their neighbor, before their government right. rulers or whatever. Yeah. Right. Hmm. However, there is another, above all others, namely the righteousness of faith or Christian righteousness. We must diligently tell this one apart from the others. This last one opposes the others a great deal. Mm. The first types of righteousness flow from the laws of the emperors, the traditions of the Pope, 
and the commandments of God. They also consist in our good works and can be done by us through our sheer natural effort, as the papists say, or even as a gift from God. Mm -hmm. All these types of righteousness are gifts of God, as well as other good things that we enjoy. Now, this is, I think, very important to, to draw out two things. First of all, there are two kinds of righteousness in Luther's theology because he teaches two kingdoms consistently. There are not three, there are not four, there are not six. Those are later additions by later Lutherans. Oh, I don't know. Where does that where does that pop up? Where do we see those other kingdoms? Uh, I don't know. If you go and read the that. dogmatics textbooks in the, uh, you know, the 16th century Orthodox Lutherans, the neo-scholastics, <clears throat> you'll find them adding to these two kinds of righteousness. To this day, they there keep are, bifurcating it into right, yeah, kingdoms. Okay, uh, right, kind of adding bylaws <laughs> to the Bill of Rights. <laughs> yeah. So that's the first thing I want to point out is that Luther was consistent. There's two, right? And if there are other places where Luther wants to talk about a different kind of righteousness, he's talking about it as a subset within one of these two kingdoms. So in contrast to two kingdoms, I know this is. Mm -hmm. getting a little technical, but there's also, what, three orders that Luther will make that distinction Right, too. right, yeah. The order of what? The home, the state, the, and... And the priesthood, the, the, the church, priesthood, yeah. ecclesial. But right. those are like places where God, you know, ways that God orders um, people vocationally. That would be categorical within, though, the left-hand kingdom. Right. Right. He's creating a set of categories within the left-handed kingdom to distinguish this is how God works out within the left-hand kingdom, righteousness. This world, and how he gives um, Correct. gives righteousness, that brings his kingdom mm -hmm. about, the kingdom right. of grace, the kingdom of the gospel, right? And the other thing I really want to point out that I think is very important, because I, I see Lutherans arguing against this, is Luther uses the language of gift and promise mm -hmm. when he talks about the gospel, the righteousness of faith, and so forth. And at least in my preaching, for example, or, or in my teaching, especially in Bible study, I emphasize this over and over, the language of giftedness, the language of promise, over and against the language of the law, which is the language of scarcity. But we've even done that with the law, right? Where we make it only yes. about scarcity, whereas it says right. you will have no other gods, which is also a word of promise then, right? Right. Specifically, that's what I want to get at is we, we tend to hear the law in relation to the old Adam as prohibition mm -hmm. or obligation versus in context of the simile that we do not live in one or the other kingdom. This is the mistake that the late medieval papists made in regards to, oh, you want to be holy and pursue righteousness? Then you need to find a monastery or a convent. Right. And those become what? Like emb uh, embassies in the midst of the kingdom of this correct. world. Right. Correct. And Luther destroys that, shatters that, and says, actually, the last place that you want to go to become righteous is or pursue righteousness is a monastery because you're removing yourself from the world. And you're now entering I, the mission field. That's right. Oh, <laughs> please stop. Just threw up a little bit. Well the, well, the church is trans, what do you want to say? Transposed or interposed on, on top of the world, right? We are in the world, but not of the world, as Paul will say. It's an overlap, let's say. Yeah. Right. The cross is an overlap. Well, it's between both. It's both. And. Two kingdoms. Right. And this is the purpose of Jesus's body. The two natures of Christ is that he is fully man and therefore bound by the kingdom on the left. Mm -hmm. And yet he is fully God bound to the kingdom on the right at the same time. And therefore, this is Luther's conclusion from reading the scriptures is that's the Christian life, is that we exist, we, we, we have a double sense of reality, a double sense of self, Romans 6 kind of stuff. Yeah. We're dead to sin and alive in Christ, and yet then in chapter 7, he follows with, shall we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. However, there's a problem here. <laughs> mm -hmm. The good I want to do versus the evil that I, I don't want to do. And therefore, it's not, and this is the problem with modern Protestantism, I would argue the problem with modern Protestantism and Roman Catholicism, which is why Lutherans are tempted to jump into these ditches and not mm -hmm. stay on the middle path, is we want to understand righteousness, not fully, but partly, partum partum, in the way that Augustine divides it out the Christian, that we are partly in the left and partly on the right, and that as we progress in righteousness, as we grow in grace, however you want to say it, we become more and more of the kingdom on the right and less and less the kingdom on the left. Right. And I think one of the places, uh, practically speaking, where you see this play out is uh, in all the arguments about, about liturgy and worship, right? Sure. Is that it's like, no, we, what we, you know, the more conservative element might say, we need worship that transcends this world. And you're like, well, but wait a minute. 
the people who are writing and creating this music, for example. Right. Um, That's a platonic ideal, too, by the way. Well, right. And you're in this world. This is worldly. Right. It, it is worldly music. Sometimes... Uh, yeah. you know textually or whatever it's god's word but he, mm-hmm. that's the thing god's transcendent word becomes mm-hmm. flesh and dwells among right. us right right uh in the same way you know god's word that's so mag- right. majestic and whatnot no he binds himself to the psalms and to the hymns right well two practical examples then is one the modern protestant move to to teach that there is a spirit baptism versus a water baptism. Yeah, we got to get above that but water baptism to the right the that there is form. a higher spiritual baptism and thus rejecting material things for spiritual things, again, platonic ideal, Mm -hmm. but more specifically to the Lutherans, this is the Anabaptists. Anabaptists taught, and this is condemned in the formula, Anabaptists taught that you can't serve uh, on a jury, right? You can't participate in public life. You couldn't be a police officer or a mayor because those are earthly things and you're a Christian and you are to pursue spiritual things. You can't serve in the army. You can't be a Christian and a soldier. Luther writes a famous essay on whether a Christian can be or a soldier can be a Christian, which actually is a great place to go if you want a very practical example of being simultaneously righteous mm-hmm. and sinful. Yeah. Because a Christian soldier, or a soldier who is a Christian, I should say, there's no such thing as a Christian soldier, <laughs> but a soldier who is a Christian, sorry, him writers. Onward. Okay, sorry. Terrible, terrible um, triumphalism. Going off so, to war. Look. Like, why do you have to go off? It's already, you, it's already here. Well, right. Anyway. And by the way, the, the, the weapons of our war are the word of God and the means of grace, the means of the spirit. Uh-huh. Yeah. And not, the enemy not, is us actually too. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you abandon the symbol, then hundred percent Christian soldiers go crazy. Um, and by the way, look at when that hymn was written and look what was happening in the world when that hymn was written. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no, this is the point is the Anabaptists were platonic and you know, fundamentally platonic. And you'll find this again, when Lutherans go bad, they become platonic in their theology. Idealism. The same, yeah, that Roman Catholics and even Eastern Orthodox in their liturgy, going back to what you pointed out, this trans-temporal meta-sacrifice of Jesus in the Mass. Yeah, even getting past the bread and wine, right? It becomes something else. Right, it must become some higher spiritual eating, or in the Protestant Church, the eating doesn't matter at all. What matters is faith which elevates the spirit, the soul, however you want to phrase it, to the heavens, basically. So you're communing with God. Where Jesus dwells at the right hand of the Father. Right, exactly. It is a constant attempt, and this is why Luther attacks the Neoplatonic system that he grew up in. He attacks Aristotelianism simultaneously. And the way to do that then, you got to remember, Plato taught that you can't be two things at once. You can't be in two places at once. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Which is why why we, and by we I mean modern Protestants, reject the uh, body and blood under the bread and wine. Yeah, because how can God be two places at once? How can He be at the right hand of God and yet on the altar? Yeah, and, and not just our altar, but your altar too. If you're super technical, you can go read about the communication of attributes and the Lutheran right. dogmatics. But right, let's not do Don't. that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid. Um, and I think this is why Luther is still around to this day. That's why this podcast exists. Is mm. Luther is eminently practical in this matter. Yeah. That there are two kinds of righteousness. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of the, of the gospel and the kingdom of the law. There are, is a double sense of reality and a double sense of self. And these happen simultaneous to one another. We are not moving from vice to grace. We are not moving from sin to faith. We are not moving from corruption to purification, the material to the spiritual. Because Luther, being really well grounded in greco-roman philosophy mm. recognizes that and i think today we've lost that that we've uh, lost our it. bearings we, we lost right. well, we've lost sight of the influences that we have right? absolutely absolutely we don't even understand our own presuppositions there you go and we're so and i think that's what gives rise to idealism hmm. is i see this in in another aspect is and we've talked about this before but diets have essentially become the new religion yeah. And one of the things that I encounter, and I'll try and keep this at a surface level, is the, the type of way that I eat, a ketogenic type of diet. It's not a diet, it's just the way we eat. That's why I don't like the word diet, because it suggests... Diet suggests yeah. short-term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm ketogenic. And other people then at church, for example, or people I train with get turned on to it because they, they're like, hey... I notice you have a lot of energy and you seem really clear and thoughtful and you always, you don't seem to get sick. So what's your secret? And I explain it to them and they go off and they try it. 
And here's the problem. They try it. They don't do the research into macronutrients. They don't do research into the gut-brain biome. They don't do the research into what happens if you eat a high-fat, low-carb diet. And what ends up happening then is they have cheat meals that are super high in carbs. Right. And they then, don't pay attention to the kind of nutrients they're putting in their body. Well, they and don't then, recognize that this is not a short-term, uh, you know, Right. It's not control. a quick fix. Yeah. Right. You're talking about long-term, sustainable, but, right. but also, you know, disciplined um, they don't exactly. They like they again. They like the idea of health and well being, but the reality of what it takes to get set up and get develop those good habits. It's a lot of work. A lot of work. It requires a lot of research, a lot of study, a lot of thought, and like you said, discipline and personal integrity. And after a couple of months, they quit because they actually gain weight because they keep eating the wrong things and doing the wrong things. Well, and they become than, less able to digest the things. <laughs> precisely precisely <laughs> that once they could eat now they can't because they've created this sensitivity right and, and now they're eating high fat and with the carbs and then that actually creates that's worse extra. than before yeah, it, it, exactly you're adding fat store now <clears throat> and as a consequence they're in love with the idea but these are the people that also then bounce from one diet to the next mm -hmm. and they bounce from and, one church to the next too and they do bounce from one church exactly <laughs> and this is grounded in idealism and not in reality as you and i both know there is no such thing as the ideal liturgy or form of worship. There's no such thing as the ideal church, the ideal congregation, the ideal pastor. They don't exist. They're not real. And yet... If you're there long enough, you'll discover this, right? Right. Well, that's the point. You have to stay longer than three months. Unless you, unless, <laughs> like you and I, we have, uh, uh, what do you call us? Canaries in, the, goal, in, the, in mm -hmm. the mine, right? I mean, we know what the warning signs are. Because we've seen it because before. we've committed these sins. Well, that's ourselves. true, and I was going to mention that. I mean, that this idealism comes for me. It came out of uh, seminary education. That one of the negative aspects is they use the term formation, and uh, right. one of my professors turned me on to that and said, "You know where that comes from? The idea that you form people—that's Plato." <laughs> yep, exactly. And, and yet we use that term to describe the. the the process or whatever spiritual formation yeah that we're forming pastors and you're like no actually what ends up forming the pastor is being a pastor right well and i'm sure you've had this conversation before too where that type of pitch will be presented to me at a pastoral conference at a winkle or personally <laughs> and i'll say no i reject that how can you reject it we it, it works i'm like but it's platonic well what does that have to do with anything why does that mm. matter it's like well no, that's how you form <laughs> idealistic you know arrogant right. men to come, to come out and right and, then, and that's how you confuse these two kinds of righteousness well that's true yeah because they have no patience with civil you know or decorum or what do we call it uh human tradition social behavior right they can't right. like be patient with like hmm, maybe a poor hymn choice or or, or a weaker organist or whatever it is right, right. Some practical and this thing. is what can this is what creates sectarianism as herman sazi points out in that essay where the sect has to have it now. It has to happen right now. Mm. We can't wait. We can't see things in terms of eternity because we can't be passive. It, it, I wouldn't say it might be. I think it is probably a better practice um, to commune with the chalice only, okay? That's personal. Mm. Um, but I, I, but well, I agree. It's a good confession of faith. Um, on the flip side, it's like, well, no, it's not forbidden to use individual cups. Mm -hmm. Is it the best confession? Maybe, maybe not. I would say not. But, but still, is that something that, <laughs> you're going to come in and be like this is unacceptable mm -hmm. social behavior and like wait a minute we've been doing it for 30 years right you're the first pastor to say anything like, right oh. how about dedicating yourself to spending the next 30 years to catechize them mm -hmm. to the chalice yeah exactly it sounds yeah. it sounds easier than it is and it does require a, a, a high degree of self-sacrifice right of your it, own it agenda really and ego it really does <laughs> it really does yeah so then back to luther Mm. But yeah, so yeah, so the the language of giftedness mm, over right. and against the language of obligation or what we deserve, what we merit in the language of the catechism, it's I think it's vital to what we've just been talking about that you as a pastor, you as a Christian, make this very clear distinction that this is all gift when it comes from God. Mm. When it comes from us, it is either merit, reward, obligation, mm. so forth and so on. Canon law, and, right? Yeah, that. As soon as you bring in the language of earning and deserving, you have to acknowledge that you've crossed kingdoms, you've crossed the streams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if, if anything good occurs, mm -hmm. if any improvement happens in your life, in your church, in your family, um, it's a gift from God.
right? Exactly. It's all a gift. Exactly. Which is also circling back around to family then in civil righteousness as Christians living in the tension between the old and the new, the old man in Adam and the new man in Christ. As we pointed out, we recognize that we must rule our homes in the way of the law and Moses, but yet simultaneously we teach forgiveness and not just human forgiveness in a human righteousness sense, but ultimate forgiveness in the name of Christ because we are baptized children of our Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so when somebody says uh, to you or I or, you know, well, your kids are so well behaved, and it's like, well, one, you haven't seen them um, exactly. at home uh, or in the morning. In their natural habitat. Right, exactly. And then, but two, only by the grace of God, right? Only Precisely. by his giving, right. his gifting. Right. Yeah. Now I'm raising an entire tribe of warrior monks at this point. So. <laughs> But this more excellent righteousness, Luther says, that I say is of faith, is this. God, through Christ, apart from any work of our own, puts it freely to our account. Hmm. That's it right there. That's the whole, that's the root, that's the force, that's the power behind gift, the language of gift. And there was that, and that didn't exist in Luther's day in the church. No, it didn't. It, it doesn't exist in our day. That's how radical this is. It isn't taught. There's right. always some kind of cooperative or collaborative, you know, mm -hmm. force behind right. righteousness. Hmm. Yeah, the old Adam loves his projects, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. to, to repeat, God through Christ, apart from any work of our own, puts it freely to our account. This is it, man. That's, that's it in a nutshell right The righteousness there. of faith. And, and again, this is the third paragraph of Luther's opening lecture where he introduces the class. And as he said, I'm going to state the main argument of this epistle before we get going. Incidentally, these are all you know, like first generation. So they're, they're not too far removed from, from papist theology. Correct. Right? <laughs> Correct. So imagine how heady this must be for these students to hear this stuff. Mm. It does not concern our works, but exists on a different level. It is a simple, passive righteousness. There it is. It's simple, not easy. It's passive, not active. It is righteousness that is the forgiveness of sins. And I, I think we missed this statement too. It's not political or behavioral. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't, and it's not the righteousness of the law of God exactly. either. That's pretty, that's pretty heavy too. Oof. It is a simple passive righteousness since all the previous ones are active. <laughs> I should point out at this point too, since we're a couple episodes into this, if you read this and you allow this to influence your theology, not just your theology, but your living and breathing, you will become unacceptable to about 90 plus percent of Christians you, in, you encounter. Um, and maybe even that many Lutherans too. I didn't want to say that, but a hundred percent. Oh, well, <laughs> it's there. I mean, the show is Again, as Lutheran as it gets. And as it gets, yeah. that's true. So this right, is the temptation statement, isn't it? It really is <laughs> <laughs> savvy. <laughs> so to obtain this one, we don't do any work at all, nor do we offer anything to God. Hmm. That would be sacrificial versus sacramental living. Right. Rather, Luther says, we only receive and allow another capital A, another to work in our behalf. None other than God himself. Therefore, it has seemed right to me to call this passive righteousness, the righteousness of faith or Christian righteousness. Boom, bam. And that's going to guide the, all the lectures. That's going to guide the whole thing. Yes, precisely. Yeah. So really what Luther is stating at the outset is the entire set of lectures that I deliver to you are going to be a meditation on passive versus active righteousness, because I believe... Luther says, that's actually the underlying point, the thesis of Paul's entire letter to the Galatians. That's what they've lost sight of. Right. You must right. be circumcised. You must be obedient to the law if you hope to be righteous. You must become Jewish. You can't be a Gentile. Hmm. Yeah, you know, this is why I wonder, like with a Christian day school, for example, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, is that the way that it's sometimes presented is we're teaching, you know, righteous, the righteousness of faith in the day school. And you're like, uh, you might be in the chapel. Mm -hmm. right <laughs> hopefully but uh but in the classroom no this is this is civic or political righteousness this right is, exactly this is obedience to the law you teach the, yes you teach the 10 commands commandments in the school or in the mm -hmm. courthouse fine mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um although that might be a little confusing but uh but that doesn't make you a christian it doesn't make you a christian that's not what christian quote-unquote christian education then is either correct right 
Yeah, you could say Christian education or Christian day school is ongoing civil righteousness punctuated <laughs> by moments of Christian righteousness. <laughs> right. And so just thinking that through, then if you were going to make some adjustment, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what would the righteousness of how, well, it would mean that you would be receiving Christ's word and, mm -hmm. and being commended to your baptism again, right? Right. Uh, daily uh, in the school. Mm -hmm. And that would be how you'd start and end every day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. So the example then that Paul uses of Isaac versus Ishmael, mm. free woman versus slave woman, properly interpreted according to Luther, then would be that Isaac is passively righteous and Ishmael is pursuing active righteousness. That's ultimately what that's about. Yeah. Well, and we see this from the get-go, right? Cain and Abel, right. same story. Yes. You know, Abel's by faith, yep. Cain is by as uh, you know, by obligation or duty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, where else do you see it? You see it. I mean, even like the calling of Abraham, right? It's like right, is correct. he is he actively pursuing God, trying to find? Hey, let's find the tabernacle. Let's find God. Let's uh, come to believe it. No, mm -hmm. he's in the uh, horror the Chaldeans or wherever he is. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's just hanging out. God chooses him. Right. Calls him, and then he says, uh, "God, you're not keeping your promises." God says, "Oh yeah, here's the promise again." And he says, mm, you're not keeping your promise. Don't go east to Nineveh, who they're busy sacking because it's fallen. Go south into the salt flats. Yeah. Let's go through the salt flats where people are sent to die. Isn't that something? The Negeb, right? Yeah. Hmm. So Luther continues, this righteousness, the passive righteousness or Christian righteousness, this righteousness is a hidden mystery. The world is not aware of it. Hmm. What's more, Christians themselves don't understand it fully. And they can hardly take hold of it in their temptations. Brutal. Therefore, it is necessary to teach it and practice it continually without any let up. And whoever can't understand it or is unable to hold on to this righteousness will be hounded by the constant fears of his conscience and will certainly be defeated. Hmm. There is no other comfort as firm and sure for the conscience as is offered by this passive righteousness. So so that statement I mentioned, uh, Abram, right? God keeps telling him. He keeps giving mm -hmm. him his promise. Why? <laughs> because Abram doesn't he believe doesn't it. understand it fully. He can hardly take hold of it in his temptations. Right. And then, <sighs> ultimately, um, it is said of Abram, and he believed the Lord, and it was mm -hmm. counted to him as righteousness. Right? right? And where did that come from? God speaking, God continuing. And if speaking. you want to see someone in Scripture wrestle with this, go read the Epistle of James. With that text, or with with this, whole yeah, with the Abrahamic text, right? Yeah. Paul just hits it hard. He was justified on account of faith. Yeah. Whereas you watch James wrestle with Abraham. Thankfully, Wait, he throws it. Was Rahab it his there. faith, or was it God's faith? You know, exactly, uh -huh. exactly. Oh, and, and Rahab uh, too. Yeah. Yeah, he wrestles with this. Thankfully, he punctuates the Abrahamic meditation with Rahab, so you can pull out of that nosedive before it gets into the act of righteousness. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you can see even within scriptures, you can see the old Adam sinner wrestling against the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We always want to take some claim or some part in, in what God has done for us. Absolutely. And this is Dr. Luther's point, again, eminently practical. If we do not cling to this, we will be hounded by constant fears of our conscience and we will certainly be defeated. Mm-hmm. And yet there is no other comfort as firm and sure for the conscience as is offered by this passive righteousness. You are forgiven, right? Right. To to live in one's baptism, to use baptism in your vocation. Yeah. What greater comfort is there? But, 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 but pastor, they can't, no, it's got to be harder than that. No, there's got to be more. That right. can't be the only word. No, that's the word. That's it. You are right. You are forgiven. And I'm sure this has happened to you too, is I've had people leave church. Because they refuse to believe this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're offended uh, at the idea that they that all of their cooperation is uh, right. <laughs> filthy rags, whatever. Well, and this is why people will come up to me, new members, not old members, because they know better, and ask me to conclude my sermons with more application for Christian life. Essentially what that is, and then I, this is essentially what it is, uh, you keep preaching passive righteousness, so could you conclude your sermon with just a paragraph or two about active righteousness? Mm, yeah, exactly. Versus, I will in Bible study. I will in my pastoral care and ministry. I will when we're having a conversation at the cafe or the coffee shop or wherever. 
however yeah. in the pulpit it happens in, it happens in the psalmody it happens in our hymnody too correct yeah. correct exactly back there are plenty forth, of places yeah. in the divine service for this in the pulpit ixnay on the act of righteousness a mm-hmm. and yet i don't not preach it but rather i preach it in the way of paul which is the fruits of the spirit or the fruit of faith is love selfless self-giving love which they hate because selfless self-giving love is a pain in the butt for them because they want me to tell them something they can pursue that feeds their own selfishness rather you you are proposing something that can only be a divine miracle right god's exactly. a, a work of the spirit <laughs> right the only way right. any of this is going to happen is by his working so even right. what you might call active Mm-hmm. Even that's passive too. Precisely. For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. And therefore the life I live is not my life. The fruit of a fruit bearing tree, which was made a fruit bearing tree by God. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. hundred percent. Yeah, no razor wire. Jesus gets into these, this thing with fruits and trees with the, with the, um, uh, what is it? The tree on, on parable of the week. fig tree? Or? Yeah, the fig tree. Well, there's two different ones, yeah. right? But right. like he comes back to it, it's not bearing fruit. Well, then cut it down, throw it in fire. What good is it? Right. Right. So, yeah, you will bear fruit if you are a fruit tree. That's how you work. Right. It's a statement of fact. You will bear fruit. Mm-hmm. And this is what I point out, too. When Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, for example, in Galatians, those are indicatives, mm-hmm. not subjunctives, not imperatives. They're indicatives. They're statements of fact. Yeah. This is just what you will do now. You are dead to sin and alive to Christ through faith. You just are. There is language in the epistles about, uh, what, how does it go? Let us. I always think of like greens, but leafy mm-hmm, greens. Mm-hmm. But, but the yeah. let, let us, let us. And what does, he ta- what does he mean by that then? Is he saying, mm-hmm. you know, cooperate? Or is he saying, don't disagree with what God has said he's already going to accomplish? In right. You? Let your amen be amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you've, done, when you've done, again, when you've done all that you're supposed to do, don't say, look at me but rather I am an unworthy servant. I have simply done what was given to me to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And not all that well, if I'm going to be honest, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Cracked vessels. Hmm. I'll tell you what, let's stop there yeah, it's good. and then dive back and do it in the next episode. Cause that's probably the, I mean, there's no really good place to stop in this preface to the preface to the preface, this introductory lecture, but that's about as clear as it's going to get before we jump into human nature mm-hmm. and Satan. Good. <laughs> so uh, we'll stop there and come back in uh, another week uh, for the next episode. Although we'll, we will be recording this in the next two minutes. So <laughs> it might sound like there's a lot of continuity because, well, there will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but as always, subscribe to the podcast, please, if you want to. Uh, share it with friends and family if you enjoy the podcast. Um, go to, to iTunes and leave us a five-star review if we think we deserve it. And yeah. if you want to leave a one-star review, why waste your time and energy? being negative and cynical yeah i suppose it's kind of a scam system but whatever just just walk away that's how it works just we'll, walk more reviews away. higher up in the rankings you get and the more opportunity others have well to discover us right right exactly uh go buy gillespie's coffee mm-hmm. that's important it is it's good coffee. you have, too. A, mo- you have a big move coming up uh, actually do. when this uh, when this podcast airs you might be in transit i don't even know the appraisal came back it's good so i think we're good to go all good Praise yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, what else? Go check out the other podcast in the um, Higher Things Podcast Network, as we call it now. Mm-hmm. Go check out the Higher Things website. Uh, a lot of new projects coming up in the future. Yeah. And new podcasts, vlogs. Go check out the, uh, let's see, there's the Catechized Life on YouTube Largely now. Catechized Life. Largely Catechized Life. I came up with the name. I should remember it. Largely Catechized Life. Uh, Earhart does, is he doing confession stuff? He's doing Small Catechism Tuesdays. He used to do Small Catechism Tuesdays. Once again, I created it. I should know that. And then what's Vandercook doing these days? Psalms, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Again, I gave that to him to do. <laughs> Who's it? I'm what's on your, point I today. I don't remember what your title is. And you know, Anyway. I'm the online content, whatever. Manager. I create it, and then I find other people to do it. So at a certain point, you just got to set your babies free. You got to let, let them walk on their own. Yeah. You'll, you'll grow wings. Don't worry. I just check in. How's things? Do you need any help? Do you need anything to do? Great. You're doing an awesome job. Yeah, I've taken a those page out. out of Pastor Borghardt's book. Those are all really <laughs> quality. Um, they are. I, they are excellent, actually. I, yep. I do actually watch them. 
uh, to make sure that it hasn't gone completely off the rails yet. Uh, <laughs> but you got the the Kuhlman Experience, where Pastor Kuhlman teaches Bible study, mm-hmm. uh, the Gospel Boldly podcast, lectionary stuff, reading through the, the scriptures. What else we got going on? We got legacy content, so you can listen to Higher Thing Radio replays, worship uh, video replays, mm-hmm. um, articles from the past, everything. Go check out all that content. It's there for you. It's free. Well, and we're emphasizing that content um, this year, right? Because we're coming up on the 10th anniversary. Is that right? 20th. 20th. Good night. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we have a lot of content out there. dog. So go check out all of that. And as always, we truly appreciate you um, being engaged with us. If there's a Lutheran theologian you would like us to read at some point after we finish Galatians, which may be years from now at this rate. But uh, nonetheless, we will add it to our queue of Lutheran theologians to cover. And uh, we love you. And we will see you next week for a brand new episode. Peace.